1: Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist at the American Museum of Natural History right here in New York City. And I also serve as director of the Hayden Planetarium. Come check us out sometime. I got with me in studio, the one, the only, the inimitable Chuck Knight. Yes. Chuck. Welcome back, man. Hey, Neil. Love, you ha- love having you. I love being here, man. And you get into, into all kinds of stuff. First, you're tweeting at Chuck Nice Comic. At Chuck Nice Comic. Chuck, t- other Chuck Nices were taken, I'm told. He, well, yeah, well, <laughs> screw the rest of those Chuck Nices. Sorry, <laughs> right, you yeah, were just slow.
2: Just, just <laughs> admit <it. laughs> oh, uh, Put on. the
1: comic on there. Also, I was checking your bio in progress. You're doing a, a show where you're just. Invading people's homes, which sounds creepy.
3: Yes, Uh, (laughs) imagine that—a black man home (laughs) invasion show. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, it's called Home Strange Home, man. It's me, Home Strange Home, me going around to some of the weirdest and uh, most unique homes in America and and, calling them out. And
1: calling them out, yeah. And and what what network? Uh, HGTV. Home and Garden Television. Home and Garden that Television. That is my sister's favorite network. I love her. Every speed dial button goes to that network. <laughs> my kind family. of woman. she I'm not gonna tell her, she's gonna find you by accident. Fantastic. And she's there. I got with me also my friend and colleague, Charles Liu. Great to see you. Professor Liu. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent uh, astrophysicist at the City University of New York on Staten Island. Yeah. And I've, I've got you here because we're featuring my interview clips with Alan Rickman. Yes! Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. By Grand Thar's hammer, you shall be avenged. And I didn't. Nice. I didn't know this in advance. That was yeah. yes. I don't know if you was did. It's good or bad.
3: We'll <laughs> 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 find me. out. Good reference, bad impersonation. <laughs>
1: Maybe that's what it is. So, Alan Rickman, you, you may know him from his role in Harry Potter. He was sneak. creepy. Defined the word creepy. Yes. He's he's it yep. in Harry Potter. Of course, he was in Die Hard, one of the greatest villain roles ever. Yes, he was in Galaxy Quest, how as yes. uh, be a movie as there ever was. In Dogma, many other films, and uh, he was also in Bottle Sh- uh, Bottle, Bottle, Shot. Bottle Shock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah a wine film. A big fan of that. And you know, for folks who are sort of sort of A-list guests like that, I always like knowing what role science might have played in their lives. Mm-hmm. It's not always good, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I just like knowing, just so I know what I'm dealing with. Right. You know, in the interviews, so let's find out what Alan Rickman tells us about his life experience learning science. So Alan, I have to ask, because you've been in some intriguing science fiction films like Galaxy Quest, I always wonder, do people who end up in those roles, do they have some science background that leads them to it? How, how is
2: science flavored in your life, in your years in school? Put it this way, when I uh my very last physics exam i got four percent uh that off. would be four marks out of a hundred oh. <laughs> <Four> per- <laughs> not 96 because you lost four, no, four, four. i got four marks for in your physics and i think they used to give you one mark for getting your name right <laughs> yes. on the top of the paper uh, and uh and the teacher wrote a hysterical paper and uh, he didn't mean that it was funny um <laughs>
1: Wait, so, so uh, what's the corresponding year in school in America that that would be? Is that how that would old be you? when I
2: was about um, fifteen? Or okay, 16, so high school, something like that. Yeah, and it's before you choose which subjects you're going to do, what we call A level, when you're uh, seventeen and eighteen, and then you go to university. So physics was or science was never ever going to be part of my so life. So that
1: when you said maybe I should be an actor?
2: at least I had an option
1: (laughs) (laughs) makes me wonder like had you done well in physics we would have never had you as an actor I I don't know uh, what these four how these forces operate
2: but no actually there was somebody in my year who because it was a it was a good school in that sense they didn't kind of try to trap you or type you. And somebody in my year Which did- Which is
1: a very UK thing to do, right? Yeah.
2: Try type well, you. I don't know about UK, it's world over, you know, get mm. a label on people as yeah. quickly as they can. This guy in my year did for his three A-level subjects, i.e. leading up to university, did physics, maths, and art. And he wound up being an art teacher. Oh. And I'm sure all the better for having uh, had science in his life.
1: Wow. So yeah, if we got four percent on this physics. I'm not going to ask you what percent you got on your <laughs> physics, Chuck. I'm turning to you on this one. <laughs>
3: I, uh, that's funny. He says that because I remember. Now we had physics in uh, the ninth grade. That, ooh. The school that I went to. Ooh, was it private school? Or it was. It was a, a prep school. Prep school. Was, okay. And it was uh, academically advanced. Mm-hmm. I was not academically advanced. All right. And oh. so I failed physics. And oh, ooh, um, now now it comes out.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. All right. but what so that's t- when you said I think I'll be a comedian <laughs> yes <laughs>
3: <There> <laughs> and poke fun on
1: a physics <laughs> radio show yeah. but
3: I I loved science and I really felt like man I can't believe I'm I, I failed this
1: class and I blamed the teacher
3: but I that had is to the right thing to do. Yeah, to
1: <laughs> I'm so, <laughs> so in favor. I but. blame the teacher. So you're, you're an educator, <laughs> yeah. uh, as am I, of course. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you think a lot about this. So yeah. mm-hmm. I, I'm intrigued that he could fail a class. Yes but still embrace the meaning of science. Because when Alan mm-hmm. Rickman said he got 4%, he wasn't bad-mouthing science. That's right. He just got 4%. That's, right. That's all he was One saying. thing that
4: he said that was so telling, he said that most places in the world, you get trapped into places. Oh, yeah. you must be the science guy. Oh, you must be the art guy. Yeah. But the bottom line is, especially in this modern world, you can love anything and be anything at the same time. The information- Without the you, metrics of an exam to exactly. tell you whether the, you should do either. The information that used to have to be forced into you as training for something is no longer that constrained in the classroom. You can get it anywhere, but yeah. like all over the world, oh, online. Oh, yeah. so
1: we live in a time where the teacher is not the
4: sole source exactly. of your enlightenment. So the teacher's role becomes whether or not you learn how to think about things in a positive light, whether you understand things in a way that makes sense for you in in your life. If the teacher fails to do that, it is the teacher's fault. It is oh, not the you. student's fault. So I tell all my students, well, I teach astronomy, you know, I, I say, look, if you don't like math and science by the end of this class, don't blame math and science. Blame me. Right. And I'm totally comfortable with that. I'm what really glad it? to hear it. What did
1: me? it for me, though, was... Uh... So you were burned in effigy recently. That's fine.
4: Happened. But
3: no, did but... you do well in any science class? Oh, yeah, yeah. I oh, did okay. well in most of them. I just really, I don't know what it was. I don't think we had a communication thing. But then uh, another, my chemistry teacher gave me a book called Introduction to Astronomy.
1: Ah. Your chemistry teacher. My chemistry teacher okay. gave me this. Good for your chemistry because the, chemi-
3: the chemistry the chemistry's teacher said there's no way you can be doing this well in chemistry and failing physics. Mm. And when I started, this book was really fascinating. as a
1: teacher figured something else must be operating yes, right, on that, yes. yeah? And I found the book so fascinating that it inspired me to continue going. That's great. great. And you became a comedian.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. But astronomy is often a gateway, science. When we come back, we've got more of my interview with Alan Rickman, the actor extraordinaire. And I've got in studio Chuck Nice, Charles Lou, We'll be back in a minute. Radio. By the way, you can find us three ways. First, we're just simply on the web at startalkradio.net. We have an archive of all of our old shows. Check it out. But there you can also download us as a podcast, as you can on iTunes. We're also in video form on the Nerdist network of YouTube. So find us there. And not only that, we're on broadcast radio. And so, Chuck, yes. with a lot of roots in broadcast radio, it's so great to have you Participate in this adventure.
3: Yes, yeah, I feel the same way, and my roots are deep in
1: broadcast radio. Yeah, yeah. So thank, thanks for that. And Chuck, you, you, you were a radio broadcaster in college. Yes, I was. Excellent. So yeah. we, we let's put on our radio voices. Right? There we go. All right. <laughs> well, I did punk rock once in a while, so it was like, hey, how you doing? It's a hospital. Punk day. rock. <laughs> so in, in this edition of Star Talk, we've got my interview clips with Alan Rickman, who's actor extraordinaire. Yeah. I mean. When he speaks, you can only just be silent and listen to the words as they come out of his mouth. He at first, he's got the British accent, yes. which means he has access to vocabulary that Americans can only dream of. <laughs> and just the roles he's played have been yeah. so compelling and so absorbing. And in this next clip, I it came off of our discussion of his exposure to science, and what about science might intrigue him. He didn't do well on that physics class. He got 4% out of 100. I thought it was 4% off, uh-huh. we 4% in. So yes, that's bad. That's That'd bad. be an F minus. <laughs> minus, minus, minus. <laughs> so but does that influence what roles you might play? Uh, is it good or is it bad? Is he still curious? Turns out he's quite interested in human physiology. Well, who isn't? But yeah. <laughs> to know that an actor is, brings an extra dimension to it. Let's find out what he tells us about
2: that about watching somebody play the piano I don't know how that's physically possible how do they how do people retain that information how do they then not look at what their hands are doing Uh, and how how's that message going from the brain to 10 fingers and dividing that information up Uh, and also um, operations now where the the edges get blurred, whereby people can operate with a tiny camera inside people's bodies. And apparently the way they train themselves to do that is by um, getting really good at computer games.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating frontier. So I'm I'm curious then, I mean, you're intelligent, you're, you're a deep thinker, we've spoken earlier, you even think philosophically about the world. It seems to me that that could and would play some role in what drives the roles you select in your acting career. I mean, why wouldn't they? If someone, if someone, oh. if someone had an idea, they say, we're gonna cast doctors. Consider, was it in the 1960s, that movie, uh, that Isaac Asimov story, Fantastic Voyage, where the, the vessel, the Proteus, I think it was called, shrunk, there's some, some important diplomat that has a brain tumor, and he might die, but they they have found a laser that could fix it, but they have to shrink down the laser and get inside and do it. So they take this vessel, put people in it, shrink it down to the size of the can fit in a syringe, and then you go inside the body. And then the whole movie is what is inside the body and what they see and the and the red blood cells and the, the ventricles of the heart and the veins and the arteries. And they get to the brain and they pull out their laser, which was a big thing back in the sixties, and, and I'm just curious. Those those sound like intriguing
2: roles. And if if you if you feel that, it just means I have to do a lot of uh, background work to catch up. <laughs> well, I, so
3: I mean, that's, that's all right. No, that's that's, that's enjoyable
2: too. I like I like ambiguity in roles because that's interesting because it means there's no rules and it means you can pull people into a private storytelling space and they're not being manipulated by outside forces. they're uh, imaginations are allowed to work along with mine but at the same time uh, I did actually do a film playing a heart surgeon and I was on really big catch up there because oh. I was now forced to try to understand how the heart even works and then uh, to mime doing a heart operation because it was about Alfred Blay- Blaylock who did the first blue baby operation. Okay. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. yeah. So when you're an actor, you don't know what you're going to be called to do. Mm-hmm. And there he is. First, he's intrigued by the moto kineticism of a piano, piano player. player. Who isn't? You play the piano? I do
0: play
3: the piano. Of course you do. Do you
0: play
1: the piano, I play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> play the piano too? Uh, no longer.
3: No longer. I did. I took lessons for a little while, yeah. but I sucked.
4: Now, okay. now, my daughter is way better than I am. Okay. The but the reality is that, indeed, when the human body programs itself, the reason we practice is that we're able to train our bodies to do things beyond our ability to think consciously. It's the same for playing piano as it is for, say, a football player. If somebody's coming in and trying to sack you as a quarterback... Have you run you the other way. You, <laughs> what yeah, what you, kind of training does that take? But you literally don't have enough time to think to, think to move. Your body has to know to move. Before you even think, way. oh, somebody's gonna come hit me. So you're training yourself all those years. You think, oh, I can play quarterback or oh I can sack the quarterback. The reality is your body has to react faster than you can think and command your body to react in order to be successful. So that's so you're training. Yes. So you train,
3: so so yeah. I but, feel the same way at the source awards. Mm. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you hear pop, pop, you don't even think, you just run. She's like so, so you, you've done this. This has happened so often. <laughs> your your, your motor neuro kinetic right, yeah, response. You, you would think that uh,
3: it would right. occur to me just not to go to the source right. awards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of hours,
4: thousands of hours of that kind of practice. But what is very cool is that the human brain, even with a few hours, can make it so that other humans looking at that person suspect that there's the appearance of ability, even though the true ability is not yet
1: revealed. Oh, so the actor doesn't have to then be the 20,000 hour expert. Precisely. They can just uh, be the 20 hour like. expert. Right. right. And again, that takes. But they a have to know skin. how to mimic.
4: Exactly. And that right. itself has its own brain, not neural cognitive things. Mm-hmm. So different people are good at different things. It could be, for example, that the maestro piano player particularly can arrange his or her fingers to become very good at playing the piano, whereas the actor or the comedian has the neuro ability to find a way to reach those specific aspects that appear to be excellent to others and be able to communicate.
1: You know, when I was was hosting Nova Science Now on PBS, Ah. we did a segment on your brain learning while you're asleep of something you had done the day before. Right. OK, so you do a task that you've never done before, and you it's hard at first, and you get a little better at it, and you keep getting better, but there's a point where you're just not getting better. You, you, you fatigue, mm. I guess, is mm. how you we would normally describe it. You go to sleep, wake up the next morning, kick in. You start at a higher level than you left off the day before.
4: Because your brain, the brain has kept, added the information it kept going, its and It's not
1: just knowledge. It was adding kinetic uh, memory of what you were doing and so when they say sleep on it that it actually has meaning okay and, and and i was able to confirm that and i did this with multiple i did it with a video game that required uh oh. kineticism i did it with a, a a typing sequence i did it with a, a memory sequence the next day i was better and so um the brain is working so is your brain like making new neural pathways so that you're better at that well, that's what they it used it to just... say Trof, yeah. but <laughs> you're you're it's just <laughs> I mean, we're not growing new neurons, right? right? Okay. It's just the rearrangement
4: of the chemical pieces that we picked up. It all kind of settles in during that time when you're not doing anything else. So it's all just sacks of chemistry, is what you're telling us. Oh, chemistry, alchemy,
1: magic, <laughs> <you> know,
0: <laughs> magic, magic. Who knows it's what magic. it is?
4: <laughs> but as well, you know, Neil, all scientists throughout history who have reached intractable things have at first ascri- ascribed them to perhaps magic or divinity but knowing that that's just a gap until we fill it with more knowledge. And What's
1: interesting is it works that way historically, and there's the famous uh, edict or adage from Arthur C. Clarke, where any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Right. Ah. Yeah, that's and so, right. So, so not take only... an iPhone back to colonial America. No, take to... it back. 10 years ago, <laughs> you'd still, still be burned at yeah, the stake. That's true. Right, right. Uh, so what, for an actor to learn to be another whole person, um, I'm intrigued to, and, and, and heartened, well, of course, because we see it and yeah. it's real, actors who are good pick it up, they capture the essence of it, to the point where you, the viewer, even if you're an expert in what they're acting, you think that they yeah. are yeah. what that is. You want yeah. them to be that. That's true. On the other hand... I watched The Big Bang Theory, and I'm certain those actors are experts in all yeah, the fields yeah, that yeah, they yeah, talk about. Yeah.
4: On the other hand, doesn't it rankle you when... I don't know, maybe, Chuck, you know this. When you're watching somebody pretending to play the piano on the movie, and their hands are over here, and you yeah. know that the sound <laughs> the is coming right over the <laughs> there, you're going, oh, forget it, man. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm switching the channel. I, I'm not taking yeah. you to the, to the next <laughs> <laughs> Or the next taping of Big Bang Theory. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah and some actors, they'll actually want to learn the piano mm-hmm. so that... You know, like they want to be that real. Yeah. Well, they'll gain the weight or lose no, the weight. You're
3: right. Denzel Watson played a trumpet player in Mo Better Blues and literally learned the fingering.
1: Not to play the trumpet, oh, but okay. the fingering. So you checked the cheek to see if it was <laughs> More of our interview with Alan Rickman when we come back to Start the We're back on Star Talk. Today we are featuring my interview with Alan Rickman. I listen to that guy all day. Uh, <laughs> um, no, that is not a good imitation. Of I don't know. Rickman. He sounds a little smug when he talks. Yeah, but then, I love it. But then you 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 want that, you know? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but his last line in the
4: last movie: "You have your mother's eyes. Such pathos." You just want to shed a tear for the dude. Yeah, I wanted to shed a tear for that impression.
2: (laughs) That's right.
4: That's why you're the comedian and I'm the astronomy. No, I'm glad you did it because mine
3: sucked,
1: but that one. Okay, He's, he's done a lot of movies. The movie I'm thinking of right this minute is he was one of the lead characters in the movie Bottle Shock, which chronicles an episode in the history of American ornology. Ah. That's one of those O-E words. Yes,
4: O-nology. O-nology. yes. Uh, well, look, I, Neil, I hope it's okay that I reveal to the world how much of an enophile you are. This man, folks, is one of the maybe two or three most knowledgeable people about wine in the whole world, no, that, that he I knows. That <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> in
3: the whole world, that I know. Okay, I know. Right.
1: You, you, okay. you, you, you have to let me finish my sentence. Okay, well, right, right. But uh, the well, thank you for that, that yeah. for those kudos. But I'm just saying. So, so I had to go see that movie, and I found out neither of you saw that movie. So I are to do all the talking, the same. Didn't see sideways either. Yeah, so sideways is another good one. So <laughs> I'm just impressed that there are these that there's a wine movie out there, and it chronicled the. This chapter in the history of American winemaking, where California is trying to make a name for itself, right? It's got the grapes of the classic wine-growing regions of uh, France, France, from Bordeaux, yep. and Burgundy. especially Bordeaux in this particular case, and and so they grow their Cabernet Sauvignon grape, and so the most expensive wines ever at auction from France are this grape. You put the plantings here in America and they're trying to compete. And there was a contest in 1976, our bicentennial year. It was all up with America. And the French said, let's have a contest. You guys are so uppity. Let's bring some of your wines against some of our wines. And some people were a little skeptical that maybe the French were trying to embarrass us Mm. on our, because by the way, the only way you can conduct that experiment is if you taste the wine blind, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You can't know in advance because then you don't trust the judges. Especially the
3: French. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't
1: we have a contest where you bring your still? <laughs> right, so you gotta work that and, and play it right. And yeah. so so Alan Rickman plays, was he one of the judges? I forgot the exact role, but he was there as part of this, this contest that would be conducted. And so uh, let's check out this clip and, and we'll talk more about wine when we get back. All right, so you study your roles, that, yeah. as, as any good actor does, which tells me then, in Bottle Shock, you had to do a lot of wine tasting. <laughs> That's
2: not so difficult. <laughs>
1: To do your homework for a bottle shock. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. uh, no, well, the real problem with that was we were shooting it all in Sonoma, and uh, and so when we came to the scene where there's a, it, it's about a blind wine testing between French a true story between French and American wines. Right, we taste
1: the wine, and you don't, you're not told in advance yeah, anything about it.
2: Yeah, and uh, and this was set up in Paris thirty odd years ago by the character I was playing to publicize his wine academy. And this all happened, and his judges were very eminent um, French, all French chefs and um, wine experts, and snobs basically. (laughs) They knew what they were talking about. Uh, Horror of horrors, the American wines won. Uh, That's an extraordinary story. But of course, the departure from anything to do with reality is when we shot that scene of the actual wine tasting. It was in about ninety degrees of heat outdoors. Uh, in Sonoma, where of course you, you couldn't possibly have done that because it would have ruined all the wine. Oh right,
1: right, right. But it was a, it was visually, uh, stunning. Good. right, yeah, look, it <laughs> it, 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 it looked mm. good. Yeah. So so there he was. So uh, he was the sort of the British merchant who organized this tasting in France, and yeah, America won. And in fact, I have tasted the wine that won that contest. Wow. It was a 1973 Stags Leap. Stagley? Cask 23. Wow. There's ca- and, and Cask it, 23. That's, that's, was 96. it actually that good? Stagley, uh, in, in 1973. Now, now back then, and still, uh, California wines tend to mature sooner than ah. than French wines. So, okay. when the French lost this contest, they would then say, oh, well, the American— This is 1976— was the contest, these American wines. The other uh, French wines were in the early 70s, right? right? right. So they would say, oh, ours has not shown well yet. (laughs) Come back in (laughs) three years. We will see see who wins then. (laughs) (laughs) Big. (laughs) (laughs) By then it was too late. Genie was out of the bottle. Uh, Time magazine was present at the tasting and they ended up writing about it. No other American press was interested in covering it. You know, there is a California wine called Rocket Science. Yes. In fact, I had some of that yesterday. As good as tags They're coming along. (laughs) But actually, I'm I'm a sucker for a wine label that has cosmic themes. And there's a lot of them. In fact, I think cosmically themed wine labels are like second behind like nature stuff like Cute flowers animals. and cute animals. Okay. Just check it out. You, there's some with moons and planets and stars. And, oh my. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's the Lucky Charms of Wine.
1: <laughs> I stop.
3: The Yellow Brick Road, that's the next one. <laughs>
1: yeah, so uh, I'm quite sure that cosmic themes have infused the winemaking Uh, people might have done well in their Astro 101 and it showed up on their labels. When we come back, more of my interview with Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman.
4: Thank you. Who else more?
1: Yeah, Back with Star Talk Radio featuring my interviews with Alan Rickman. Alan, and, and both of you guys cannot imitate the man. I'm okay, sorry. No, you're right. <laughs> my, my host it doesn't does stop us from trying. Doesn't stop you trying. And we just came off of that segment with a uh, bottle shock where an American wine won this prestigious French competition set up to, to showcase wh- how far California had come. And you know, the science of wine is fascinating. In University of California, Davis. There's an entire school there that specializes in the science of wine. And so what I like is that the Americans were saying, whatever you guys do in France, because you want to raise it to an art. In California, they're saying, we're going to bring it down to a science. We
3: will kick your ass with science.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We will blind them with
3: science. (laughs) Drop some science on them, son. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Snap. (laughs) So, Alan Rickman didn't only do Bottle Shock, he also did one of the campiest, funniest movies ever, Galaxy Quest. Dr. Lazarus. now I don't know how many people <laughs> out there saw the film. Yes, I don't think it was like a number one in the charts, but definitely, yeah. it's certainly a, like a rentable film. And it, it was about a, a, a TV characters from a science fiction show, mm-hmm. That actual aliens came who had to protect their civilization or something. They want them to help them. Because yeah. they, they thought it was real. Because they got the television signals right. from, from that went out into space. We have, read, we have seen your historical <laughs> <status>. <laughs> It was every Trekkie's fantasy come true. Yeah, to every, Star Trek, uh, fans, every Star Trek fan. Every Star Trek fan. Because you want it to be real to and be the aliens... Thought it was real. Mm-hmm. So, Alan Rickman played uh, Dr. Lazarus, right? Is that, uh, in the Galaxy Quest, Five if you should- By hammer, you shall be a I just, let's go straight to that clip. <laughs> when I, when I, when I, ask, I just asked him what, how does this fit into your 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 acting repertoire? Let's find out what he said.
2: Well, I mean, of course, in, in Galaxy Quest, I'm trying to think if I've done any others, but, uh, that was very particularly about a bunch of actors, oh,
1: so uh, <laughs> who
2: were all trapped in a really bad TV show. Uh, so that's that's right. Really, were, all I had you to were portraying know an actor on that. That yeah. just didn't occur to me. To think possibly of it that way. a bad actor,
1: <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> who uh, who had uh, you know aims of having been in Shakespeare and found himself in a sci-fi show, which then. Finished twelve years ago, and now these actors just go to conventions. Right,
1: right. Because uh, so, and the real aliens showed up.
2: Right, real aliens showed up unnoticed in the crowd of um, <laughs> pe- <laughs> people wearing my costume.
1: <laughs> the premise—it's just hmm. so crazy. I mean, it's it a fun, fun, crazy yeah, premise. Brilliant. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did it because it was, it, uh, it's uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> so this is in his portfolio yeah. of, of yeah. acting roles. You know, I, I just remember. I know I forgive me. I had to reference my notes. The uh, aliens in the movie called the Thermians mm-hmm. and octopodal creatures, yeah. right? That's yeah. what they and were. But they had they humanoid form when they were interacting with
3: us. Yeah. But when you saw them doing yeah, in their true form. Oh, they were disgusting. disgusting.
1: <laughs> so they did it for our <laughs> benefit so yes. that we wouldn't
4: completely... No, they are awesome. Uh, completely freak, freak
1: out. Yes. So uh, Alan, Alan made a, uh, an interesting point that there are actors there who may have trained in Shakespeare mm-hmm. and find themselves on a hit TV show that has nothing to do with Shakespeare. Rickman
4: played that part to perfection, in a sense, because... He looked a little grumpy in that role, Yes, he was supposedly Sir Alexander Dane, a distinguished Shakespearean actor who winds up on TV and now looks like a moron. In one scene in the movie, he had to go stand in front of a Walmart-like box store with his friends and say, by Grabthar's hammer, what a savings. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> at the story. Uh, uh,
4: yeah, and so the, the whole point of it is that you can take a role and play with it as much as you want, or you can disdain it and say that's not part of you, right? In, in modern Star Trek lore, people are still going around doing
1: exactly the same thing. In my one cameo <laughs> on The Big Bang Theory, yeah. I chatted with the Raj character, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. he's the astrophysicist on the show. And I said, oh, so what is your background? Like, He's classically trained in, in, in England, and he Studied studied Shakespeare. And then I thought to myself, did he ever imagine that he would be best known for like a geeky science kid in in a TV sitcom? And so I guess, uh, surely it all folds in, but I, maybe you've got to go where the where the you got to roll with it. Yeah, you do, and you hate every minute of it until,
3: <laughs> until you get a check. <laughs> get a Funny check. how that just makes everything okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm just really selling my soul here. This is awful. There is no artistic integrity to any of this. <laughs> how much? <laughs> my <laughs> God! <laughs> I'm
1: stealing money. <laughs> More my interview with alan rickman but we come back to star talk
3: ebay motors is here for the ride you saw the potential
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save.
1: At Star Talk Radio, featuring my interviews with Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Alan. Rick. Oh, it's just—it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just <laughs> awful. That's why he's Alan Rickman and we're, we're not. not. <laughs> <laughs> so I got Chuck Nice here. Chuck, you're tweeting at Chuck Nice Comic. That's right, and you're tweeting too. I just I it. am. I am
4: at Chuck Liu. Chuck C H U C K
1: L I U. The Chuck Liu. So education things and yeah. fun cosmic things. Pretty cool. Much. We'll have to. We'll have to find you there and uh we talked about some of the roles alan Rickman has played and so in his role in the bottle shock he had to know something about wine so he had to do some wine homework Mm -hmm. about that in fact that film featured chemical changes in wine because as they portrayed it although i don't think it actually happened this way in real life but it added to the drama the wine when it was shipped overseas went through a chemical change for having been sort of jostled because you have to move the wine to where the tasters are and wine doesn't like being moved any more than you like being moved bottled up and right. so so the wine has to recover from this and so there's a little bit of chemistry in the film as well and if you don't know the chemistry or you have no feeling for it or you can't embrace it and you're an actor trying to say convincing chemistry words mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't play and and Alan Rickman seems to have pulled this off each time so we talked about what is to learn science and uh, what might prevent you from learning science find out so I've got a question. You 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 scored so poorly on your physics exam. I don't know if that scarred you. Often in America, when people say they get scarred, it's not from an exam score. It's from a really bad teacher. But in either case, they're turned off for, from science, like for life. You've had several occasions for science to work its way back in your life, N- not only in, in some film roles, but. In uh, your role as a, as a heart surgeon, and there's a little bit of chemistry and bottle shock or thinking about what goes on inside the wine. So I'm curious, did, did those forces help you regain an appreciation for science or the role of science just intellectually or even in society?
2: Um, absolutely, yeah, and, I, and you're right. I wish, I, I don't want to criticize the teachers I had, but... Go for it! <laughs> <laughs> but clearly, there are other ways to teach it, and maybe you have to figure out what kind of child you have to find out how to get this information inside their heads or bodies. The key for individual <clears throat> individualized teaching, of was that it comes down to. Yeah. Um, and maybe in, you know, I've, I've stood on a platform and I've been um, zapped by uh, computers for every, from every direction so that they can reform me in a computer. You are talking about earlier about, you know, we won't need to act anymore. But they did get enough information from me to then put me into uh, the background of a shot without me having to show up. Oh my gosh. So that can be done. So why can't you take a child, (laughs) put it in a machine and zap it from every angle and figure out which would be the best way to teach it about a subject. I love that. that Finds difficult. Uh, that's the modern actor's version
1: of what we all said in the '70s and '80s. If we could put a man on the moon, <laughs> we can
2: put you know yeah. fill in the rest of the sentence. You know, if, why is this person dyslexic? What's going
1: on? If we um, can digitize an actor and put him in a scene, why can't we train people to understand the world?
2: Yeah, uh, I love it. That, I like that because that I find it fascinating. There's just something in my brain that refuses to. Um, accept the information doesn't know what to do with it it just goes as soon as you start talking but
1: okay but it's that's one thing to turn yourself off but it doesn't mean i I don't think you're saying that you don't still stand in awe or appreciation of of science. right. yeah yeah so i I like the fact that he still is impressed with what science can do and yet because so many people in america they they hate science forever, right? Yeah. And then they become anti-science. Well, we try to prevent that in the classroom, <laughs> but
4: if, it, if we can do it around. There's some really interesting projects. We talked about computer mapping and trying to get people to learn science differently. Is right on. In fact, in the University of Central Florida, uh, there is a project called the Meteor Project, where kids- Meteor as in coming Yeah, yeah, space. but it's an attempt to teach people about gravity science using computer simulations. You put electrodes and sensors on a kid, Bring him into a room, and he or she pretends to be an asteroid trying to go through and. Set into orbit, for example, around a planet. So actually, they're using their body as a kinesthetic
1: method to learn. So this is to learn all science. from from cinema. I mean, I mean, from movie movie yeah, magic, right.
4: Right, right? Movie magic type stuff. And there are scores, and they're trying to find different ways to get people to not just learn on paper how to write. Okay, this but stuff. I'm thinking of the feed. video game Asteroids, where you shoot them out of the sky.
1: Yeah, <laughs> sure. So who's, who's shooting the asteroid, kids? As <laughs>
4: they're going around? That's what I want. That watch. might be in phase two. <laughs> to ask the National Science Foundation <laughs> what they're going to fund. But uh, this is legitimate science, education research, as well as just having a good time. Isn't that what's important? Don't we all learn best when we're having a good time while we're doing it? Yeah. It yeah. doesn't have to be something that's easy, mm-hmm. right? It's right. hard to make a jump shot. You know, it's hard to do a mute grab on your board, but people will work on it for hour after hour, day after they
1: day, year after time. year, because they're having a good time. Because they're having a good time. And right. uh, when he described his role as a surgeon, mm-hmm. uh, that was a he was operating on a on a child that had a condition what was it called blue baby blue baby, mm-hmm. blue baby uh condition and uh, so he had to think about how the heart worked and all that's that but right. well, we got to wrap up this hour oh, but right. great having you guys here my god such that's, a pleasure this, yeah, so it, was this was a good time you've yeah. been listening to star talk radio you can, Find us on the web, startorkradio.net. Where else would that be, of course? <laughs> and uh, we're brought to you in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Let's do a shout-out for the... NSF! Stuff. Yes! <laughs> okay, keeping <laughs> science flowing uh, through the river channels of our nation. And by extension, the world. And by our radio signal, the universe. <laughs> <laughs> As always, keep looking up. Neil deGrasse Tyson, signing off.